0: Are you waiting for me to say something? Yeah, that's your job. Oh, I hate being the icebreaker. <laughs> You're the guy. <laughs> you start. You start the show. You end the show. I've been trying to think of this word, and I can't think of it. Do you know what do they call it in a movie whenever they do something that's kind of almost stereotypical of a movie to do? It's, it's not a trope. It's not a.
1: It's not a MacGuffin. It's something else. Oh, I was going to guess MacGuffin, but because no, that's the, the the thing that they're going after. Uh, yeah, the which is not even the real plot, but it just gets stuff going for some reason. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's
0: that word called. I was gonna use that analogy, but I can't remember what it is. Did you take any
1: like film classes? Like no. No, I didn't either. I wish I had. Yeah, that would have been cool. I was all music for my arts. I don't do any arts. You're just not artistic. No. I did typing one time. You are artisanal though. Am I? (laughs) That's gonna bug me. I need to know what that word is. We can put it in the show notes for people who care.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, I was going to use it in an analogy, and now I can't, because it doesn't make sense. Movie, so, anyways.
1: Movie terms. Cinematic terms. Should we, should we go through um, a right, list let's do of it. cinematic terms, John? Yeah, why not? Down the rabbit hole. Um, an act? No.
0: An adaptation? Ad lib? No. no, it's something negative. It's something some people say negatively about a film that does something mm-hmm. that's either expected or that all the movies of that genre does or something. <sighs> Just, I don't know. That's a good... I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe trope is the right word. I don't know. Could be
1: a trope. Let's see if that's even in this list. That is not even in here. So, anyway,
0: anyways, the analogy I was trying to make was that you, you know, one of the big things that annoys me about a movie is whenever they they're having there's like this this kind of plot right before the climax of the movie, and these two groups need to go their separate ways, but one needs to signal the other, and they're like, well, how are we going to know? And the the other character goes, oh, you'll know, you'll know when it'll happen, yeah. or you'll know when it's time. I hate that. Mm. And then inevitably, cuz cuz the writers know it's it's a stupid thing, the event will happen and the the other group will go, is that the signal? That must be the signal and they'll go off and do whatever they need to do. It, it could not be the signal, but they're going to do it anyways. Yeah. That that's what bugs me. Is um, that is
1: that lazy writing or just bad writing? I don't know. But it happens in a lot of movies. It's got to be spread. one of the two though, right? But this
0: group split off and yeah. they want to maintain some mystery for the for for the audience, I guess, is the reason they're doing it, but whatever. Um <laughs> and my whole point for that analogy is is, is I, I try to have fun with, with the things I see because otherwise I'm gonna go crazy and I'm gonna go mad so I'm working on this part of the application' That's a where short trip by the way it is um I thought I was going to have an easier time at adapting this previous connector interface that was developed for the because I've been working on this LMS integration mm-hmm. and the design of it is that you should build a plug in another the service
1: provider pattern we talked yeah, about, kind I'm of? I'm not even going to get into patterns. So.
0: I'm just saying that's, that's the yeah.
1: idea, right? Okay.
0: And I thought I was going to have an e- easier time because I thought for sure there's some data structures or some interface that I can use to kind of understand the way it's currently wired up so that I could rewire it up to this new interface. Um, I knew I was going to have to change a bunch of stuff, but I was unprepared for what I saw uh, because it looked like at some point they, they had the initial um, design of that type of pattern. But it was deprecated. Okay. And in favor of it, they have one interface class with one interface method. And it's called perform method.
1: And then you, just, you tunnel a string you with like a string oh, and a map. <laughs> and some arguments. JSON. You put some JSON in there too. <laughs> and what it returns is JSON. Oh, God.
0: And you have no control over what gets returned. So whatever package gets hooked up as the connected package could change that interface completely. And your code is host. So how do you test this? You don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was just like one of those things where that's where I felt like I was I was trying to come up with some crazy funny way in my head of rationalizing it. I'm like, you know, it's like that. It's like that thing they do in movies where this guy goes off over here and says, "You'll know whenever I, I, I signal you."
1: And w- well, what's the signal? Well, you'll know. Okay, so knowing what your inspiration was for that. Now, now I definitely say that's la- That was lazy writing, and this is that's lazy programming. That's like yeah. in- instead of keeping the the design and the architecture of the thing sound and up to date. With the changing and evolving, you know, requirements, I guess, emergent requirements of the application, which always requires you to change things like this. Right. Um, instead of doing that work, you just get lazy. And you stick one method in there that you can tunnel any kind of crap into, yep. um, which, of course, is actually going to make it harder. But people just don't seem to realize that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how they didn't realize that. I,
0: I don't see how they didn't get us down a certain path and go, this is bad. Because on the other side of it, guess what's there? A, a huge if statement that says if it's this. <laughs> the, <laughs> now you would think, now you would think, okay, well maybe they have an if statement. Maybe they were just like, you know, this is what we chose to do, and we have to live with it. And maybe they have an if statement that calls a method, and another if statement that calls mm-hmm. a method. No, what do they do? They put all the goddamn logic in the if structure. So yep. you have if it's
1: this, here's the code to run. Yeah. If it's this, here's the code right. to run, all in line. So this method is huge. They should have put it in a in a in a switch statement so that you well, can also possibly fail to remember to put the break statement in and so it just falls into the next one as well well with salesforce (laughs) you don't have
0: that problem because you just got we just got the switch statement and there is no break or is it the break is always
1: required
0: no there is there's no break it's automatic break break, right okay yeah you encapsulate it in brackets and then it's it's always broken for you
1: Uh, you know i i get the logic behind why and i don't know where that break originally comes from c or some whatever came before c I, i don't know but um did C have switch? I'm pretty sure it did. I know C++ did. Yeah, I think C had switch. But anyway, I mean, I get the idea, like, you know, it's a way to say that, okay, if, um, I, I mean, it's basically, it's basically a way to kind of have like a cross, um, what's that? like, a, almost like a cross matrix of, you know, if values match these certain things, then do this, and then the ability to fall through lets, lets you, you can kind of put these things in a certain order and do clever stuff. That's a yeah. problem. It's clever. And yeah. okay, what does clever lead to? Clever yeah. code leads to what, John? bugs yep
0: and and most most uh code analyzers will catch it and either flag yes. it as a warning or flag it as a complete
1: error yeah i mean of course nowadays you know first of all your id is probably gonna tell you hey you're, you're probably being a dummy here but also you know i mean any good you know build system you're gonna have a thing in there that catches you know likely bugs yeah, yeah i'm sure that do you use that apex pmd no, I use something else. Okay, I'm, I was going to say I'm sure though, you know, those, those types of things should should catch stuff like that. It's basically, yeah. just like it's a simple static analysis that, that shows you that you probably have that's probably a bug. I've tried to use PMD, but
0: it didn't like my code, or it didn't like the code I'm working on. It well, ju- it has a problem with large code bases, I in my opinion. Maybe just has a problem with bad code. I think it just it won't <laughs> generate the report. It I had to like give uh, I think I I even had a plugin for IntelliJ, I think for PMD or something or some kind of command line interface. And it just did not like it very well. Yeah. And it just wasn't easy to navigate or churn through. It's just
1: not fun. If your code is so bad that it crashes your static analyzer, you may be dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Plus there were a lot of just false
0: uh, false positives, false warnings, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the inspection tools in eliminate Cloud are, are are good enough for most of my day-to-day use. And then I do... There is another product that I'm using that I'm still working through and evaluating, and I want to do like a full review of, but I don't want it mm-hmm. to sound like an advertisement. But it is another product that I'm using that does static an- analysis, and I think it's really good. Um, it's they're still work the it's a new tool, and so they're still working on certain features of it, and I've come across some things and had some conversations with them about it. But um, it's it's turning out to be a pretty good tool. I kind of like the concept of it, in all honesty. But that's the story for another time. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's where I was at trying to, well, that's where I'm at today is trying to create these interfaces and basically switch out all those old interactions with with the new API. One thing that I came across, and I wanted to get your advice on this, is um, I have a, a class that does nothing but instantiate the the other side of it. So there's some config involved and some custom metadata settings that tell it what class to instantiate.
1: Mm, okay. So that's like reflective type stuff? It's as close as you can get to okay. it.
0: But you basically tell it for I right at the namespace and the class name to generate, and whenever that secondary extension package gets installed, it should create the record that says here's here's my my side of the interface mm-hmm. for you to instantiate. Okay, um, the all the interface because this is kind of built with the idea that all of the interfaces are going to be external, meaning they're going to need to connect to some kind of API. So there is a method called connect, but it's just a method; it doesn't really do anything if you had something that was local or native you could still call connect and have it do whatever initialization it had to do it just Mm -hmm. connect was the right word for me okay but i noticed i was calling connect everywhere every time i needed to get an instance of it i was calling connect and and then i got to the point where i was like should i do that should i just whenever i call and get the instance of the class should i just automatically call connect Mm -hmm. that's what i ended up doing but i kind of feel i kind of feel bad about that like should i put a Boolean that says auto-connect in the connect interface, or should I
1: not, or just let it do it? It's and just, what is, does connect mean something fairly concrete here, or is it just an abstract concept? I mean, is it literally like setting up some connection, like it's doing a handshake and getting a, you know, reaching out and, you know. It what? potentially could.
0: Okay. But in this instance, the API is basically, I need to provide it a an API key or a token. Mm-hmm and that's the gist of authenticating. Okay. So it it basically just in, ensures that it can instantiate the class and then it goes off and does a connection. But I was trying to think of scenarios where I might want to instantiate the the API class itself mm-hmm. if, and do something before I actually call it connect, but I couldn't come no. up with a scenario. Mm. And then I felt like, well, I'm now I'm stuck in this world where I'm I'm trying to solve for something in the future. <clears throat> so I erred on the side of solving the redundancy problem, where I had this connect method called over and over and over, and it was just getting redundant. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to call it in that method. And then when it instantiates it, which is a generic method, all it knows is it gets from the database, the namespace and the class, and then it knows because it's going to be instantiating an an interface that it can call this connect method. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I guess the one thing I would ask is, does the, the client of this thing that you're loading in and calling Mm-hmm. Which is like your main your main application mm-hmm. client of it. I mean, does do you want it to have to worry about having to tell the thing when it should connect, when it should authenticate, or should that totally be abstracted away? And should the this this plugin thing you have the service provider should it does it have what everything it needs to know or yeah you know, to to know when to actually authenticate if if it even does authenticate? I mean, maybe it's a local thing and it's mm-hmm. I mean because that's if it if this could potentially if if the Concept is is this just some service that plugs in a, pl- a plugin? It's a plugin, essentially, right. right? You know, I mean, is it universal that all these plugins will have to have some authenticate method that needs to be controlled by the client? I mean, if not, then let that be controlled by the plugin, and and let it not be a concept that the client has to even worry about. Yeah, the client doesn't worry about how to authenticate; it
0: just knows to it just knows to call. What what I did is I just to solve the redundancy is when I instantiate the object, I just tell it to call connect. Right, right. And then yeah. whatever interface that it that it created or instance of that class that created should know how to connect. And okay, that, so
1: that part's abstracted. So connect is almost just like uh, you could have called that method like start. Really, just yeah. whatever start means to that plugin. Right. It's that's its that's its you know. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I got to. This. That's its public like, void it became main, like a right?
0: naming thing. I was like, well, I mean, I could call it instantiate or I could call it. Something no. else, but I was like, just connect.
1: But that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's its public void, void main. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, could so, yeah start connect whatever main. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it actually became an issue, I could create another
0: class that that then calls that class to instantiate it, and then the first the new class actually calls the connect to further abstract that. But um, I don't know. That's it, it, just what I landed on. It just was one of those things that. Believe it or not, I sat there for an hour trying to figure out how I wanted to do that. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just like, what, I need to make the right decision here. I want to make the right decision here. I want to make the right forward-looking yeah. decision here as best I can. But those are the kind of things that tip away at my productivity sometimes. I'm just like, oh,
1: mm. I'm sometimes stuck. Sometimes you have what to make a decision and, and move forward because, yeah. uh, I mean, the, some of those decisions, I mean, you, yeah, you just have to... Do the best you can, move forward, and then hopefully, like on the the other side of whatever this API, these things implement. I mean, if they're all under your control, then it's if you need to change that API, it's not that big of a deal, you know. Yeah. Especially in up until the point you actually release software to the world, that can be, get harder, um, especially if you you know updating it requires you know a client to like update multiple packages and 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 you know at the same time so that you don't get incompatible versions or whatever.
0: Yeah, I've changed my interface probably a hundred different times, and that's why I'm glad I went with the approach that I did, which is I basically took a feature branch of my source, and I am building the extension, the plugin, inside of that package, knowing that I'm going to pull it out and put it into its own package. But right now it's in the same package, so I can actually build it and test it and run it and see all the interactions and see where it's working, where it's not, because I've had to change it a few times already, Mm. or add new methods that I would have had. If I had gone the other way, which is create a release package with this interface so that I can then install it into my extension package org so that I can then create the dependencies on the interface, if I had to change the interface, A, it would be problematic because they're global. So there's only certain things I can change or mm-hmm. cannot change. Yep. And so then I have to put another release or annotate a bunch of crap that I created with deprecated mm-hmm. because I can't remove it. Um, and it just would have been a cluster. So I'm glad that I'm taking this approach and I have that op- that option. Now of course, once I re- officially release it, I'm in that world. But hopefully, I've worked out all the as many of the kinks as I can right now before I've I've committed to anything. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would think so. So makes sense.
0: That's been my my week so far. It's been fun.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, John, there's I, I pulled a couple of news topics here. There's
0: not much in news, is there?
1: There's not a whole lot. one um, was it? Because I think we talked about at least a little bit over the course of this interesting giant uh, Pentagon was it a Pentagon or Defense Department contract for cloud computing services that mm-hmm. ultimately it was um, Microsoft that ended up winning it. Right? And then of yep. course you know Wasn't it government it? and Trump and all this so no no decision could have gone uh, without controversy in this case. Right? So uh, was it Amazon through a big fit? Yeah, I, I think, think so. It was, yeah. And and now a judge has temporarily blocked this contract from moving forward because uh, Amazon has filed a lawsuit that I guess the judge, <clears throat> I don't know, is it was that an injunction maybe? Hmm. Um, yeah, Amazon filed a motion asking the cause, court to pause Microsoft's work on the contract. And can you imagine? I mean, how many people do you think Microsoft put in motion once that contract was won? Thousands, right? I'm sure. And now they have to legally all just literally stop.
0: Yeah. Insane.
1: That is insane. That doesn't cost you any money, does it?
0: No. <laughs> well, that just goes to prove how, how valuable these government contracts are.
1: Um, yeah. Well, this one, and this one was extraordinarily large. It was $10 billion. Yeah, sure, but... Uh, anyway. Yeah. Amazon claims there's an unmistakable bias... I just, it kind of sounds like sour grapes. I mean, I didn't read the details of this, but it sounds like sour grapes. it's like, you know, you lost. I mean, someone had to win, everyone else had to lose. That's just. I can't you know, believe you're not reaching for the well, and darn soundboard. What would well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I. Maybe you should get your own damn soundboard. You lose? Good day, sir. A that's, that's a jackass. That's the perfect one. What, that's what you're being he right now. You lose a jackass. Bitch, look it up; it's science. That's you the, lose. That's what I wanted. There you you lose. That's the one. Yep. All right. Um, but anyway, yeah. Cloud news. Uh, let's see what else. No, also in cloud news, John. Hmm. The uh, what's the Google Cloud CEO? Or the guy that Curian, right? That left uh, mm-hmm. Oracle. He was the. Or, he, was, he was one of the. No, he was not one of the co-CEOs. He was. I want to say he was their CTO or something like that. But anyway, he's CEO at at Google Cloud. And he has announced that they are taking a page out of the, well, they're, they're crediting Microsoft and Amazon's playbook, but I would throw Salesforce in there too, which is Google Cloud is turning to a traditional enterprise sales model by separating services by industry and going straight to C-suites, which is interesting because- To C-suites? Well, yeah, because if you look at the way, I think a lot of this cloud stuff got off the ground. It was by, it was shadow IT. It was not the C-suites. It was guys saying, crap, we got to get, you know, there's a little dev department that's trying to get an app built and deployed. And internal IT sucks to deal with. And, you know, every time we try to get a server, they complain or whatever. So, right. So let's just say, let's do this new AWS thing.
0: Which I've been on both sides. I have to. And uh, it's it's, it's an interesting world when you're on one side and you think those guys are just being jerks. And the other side going, there's a lot to do here. And Mm -hmm. I'm already overloaded. I can't get you a server or anything like that. Well, not that I was provisioning
1: servers, but. It's, it's why all these companies, that's why Salesforce got started. I mean, Salesforce was just basically a little contact manager in the, in the cloud, right? Before there was a cloud. Yeah. And I'm just cloud before cloud. You know, started by, you know, probably one to five person teams. And you know what? They did it with no software. That's right. No software at all. The big, one of the biggest software companies has no software. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Retail, healthcare, financial services, media, entertainment, and manufacturing. And. Um, most of these revolve around using Google's chops in artificial intelligence mm. gotta throw that AI in there I know I, well, I, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how what AI has to do with selling to industries
0: this is the latest buzzword
1: well maybe they're going to develop you know custom AI for s- specific industries like healthcare A- AI well they would have to I would you think. Know, transportation AI transportation is one of those areas that I think could use AI
0: I saw something on. I think it was on YouTube. It was an interview with a guy that did um, robotics at um, some university, and he was talking about how they program these robots and how they have two different paths they can take. One where they have a preset of of patterns that they combine and, and to create a new kind of motion. Skip logic, <laughs> and then they have then they have the AI approach where they try to get it to learn every little thing. You know, basically how to. Wiggle your toe, and then how to you know wiggle your foot, and then how to turn that into walking motions. And he says it's still far more effective to take these predefined behaviors and and program it with that than it is to have the
1: AI create all these behaviors. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's obviously a a desperate oh, desperate or over enthusiastic need to, or there's an over enthusiastic desire, a zealous desire to have AI solve all these things. When a lot of times AI is not the right Solution to the problem, that or it's going to take longer. But, I mean, it, but if if all you have is AI to sell, if that's your biggest thing to sell is AI, you're yeah. going to try to get you're going to you're going to say everything's AI. I don't know. I can't I can't think of a company off my top of my head that does that, John. Though can you? Right.
0: No, I can't. <laughs> but another part of that was just the fact that you're feeding it this data, this kind of, and you're trying to tell it what to do and have it try to figure out how to how to use that somehow. And how uh, it just doesn't. It just takes either takes longer to get the same result or. The result is is so skewed to one to one way that, that it fails more.
1: Well, and this is um, I'm about to display the extent of my AI knowledge, but this could be the difference between uh, like reinforcement learning and supervised learning. Mm. Um, the latter, the latter one you described, where it's actually the
0: wiggly hand, where it's it's no kind of it's
1: doing hand. things and then looking at the result of those to learn. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's reinforcement learning. It's apparently much more complex.
0: I don't know which one falls into what. Left hand or the right hand?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I guess another thing that Google's been struggling um, in terms of ad sales and just overall, I guess, financial performance. I mean, they still, of course, print insane amounts of money. But trend-wise, they've been struggling a little bit. And Alphabet is counting on Google Cloud and other business units, like newer business units, to bring in the revenue that is losing from ad sales. I think... I mean, if you look at, I mean, for the longest time, like most of like the internet revenue was literally like Google ad sales. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that has been lost to social media advertising, especially Facebook, which has been the reason they've lost so much money to Facebook and that Facebook has done so well is because social media advertising, particularly Facebook advertising, is really effective. Um, I've talked to, and just anecdotally, I mean, I've also, I mean, I've read this, but also talked to you know lots of small business people who mm-hmm. do, do do a lot with you know managing you know r- relatively small ad campaigns, but they've they've done Google for a long time. They they do Facebook and whatever, and a lot of them have. I mean, the most common story I hear is that we've switched everything to Facebook because it's so much more effective and there's far less fraud. There is that's one thing that none of these companies, Google, Salesforce, all these companies that are involved in all this digital marketing, is that ridiculous amount of fraud involved. I mean by advertisers, scammers or yeah, yeah by, by scammers by who are by the scammers system. who by scammers who have been hired by advertisers to game the system by like fraudulently clicking on all their competitors' ads and stuff to cost them money. I mean there's there's just and, and also <laughs> I mean do you think it's in Google's best entrance, interest to shut down all this fraud? Of course not. The fraud. They make a ton of money on that fraud. <laughs> if if you could somehow wave a magic wand and eliminate all this click fraud, Google would collapse as a company. I don't know about that. I think it's, I think some, the sh- in the short a lot term. of people. A lot of people. That's I'm just I'm just relaying like what have people who know a lot more about this have told me. Would, and that's people's. That's it's not an uncommon opinion amongst people who know quite a bit about this.
0: I can't I can't defend it. It's just. I'm not defending yeah. it either. I'm just saying I think it's a short-term gain. I think in the long term it'll hurt.
1: I just think it's, I think it is long term. I think this has been gone for, this is nothing new. This has been gone for a super long time. I mean, before you would hire, you know, farms of of people, you know, in all these low-cost areas, India, Philippines, whatever, to do all this click fraud. And now, you know, you can have AI do it. I mean, the AI can, this, this is actually one application where AI, you know, th- th- I think there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of science and, and engineering that's been put into AI. It's just for click fraud. Well, that sucks. That's yeah, a bit, bit of a downer. Well, that's why you know Google's come out with the whole like, "Are you a robot?" to try to prevent all this artificial click fraud. You know, automated click fraud.
0: Mm-hmm. I've gotten it a few times, especially when I'm connected to my VPN. It triggers it more often.
1: Oh yeah, because okay. it's it's so there's something called impossible travel. Mm -hmm. which is, by the way, something I think that Salesforce cannot check the box of, because I do these things a lot where I get grilled on security. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I don't have a good answer to, especially when it comes to Salesforce, is people want to be able to prevent impossible travel. What that means is I log in, I'm sitting here in my office in Dallas, and I log into Salesforce. And then five minutes later, I log in from Los Angeles. Well, that's impossible travel. I couldn't possibly do that. So the system should immediately, like, Prevent that login from Los Angeles. Send out fraud detection emails. Or lock something down, maybe. Mm. And a VPN would trigger that, right? Because if your yeah. VPN is based out of Chicago, yeah, and you just logged in from Dallas, now you're logged in from Chicago. You know that's
0: well, especially since the VPN sometimes will pop off and on. So in one instance, one click, I'm on the VPN, and I might be Middle America, and then the next instance it pops off for some reason because I lost connection to the server. Now I'm back in my home in Texas, and. That's if, that's when I think I trigger it is when it when for some reason that VPN server kicks me off for some yeah. reason mm-hmm. and then I I end up in that scenario.
1: Yep, I get a lot of these and um, it seems like some of the it, it throws off some of the CDNs also.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, because I guess CDNs are they're highly geographic sensitive. Right. Anyway. Well, good luck to Google Cloud on their uh, industry. What do you call them verticals
0: i guess the verticals yeah. yeah that's a that's a tough thing to tackle from a from a top-down perspective i think i mean it just kind of go from this broad approach to now focusing on verticals it just it's and this also, I know Salesforce took a long time to try to tackle that and they've they've gotten some Yeah, they did it half-heartedly which is the well, nice last word for in it. in for years a long past time. it was really bad yeah. when they tried to tackle verticals and and of course they're pushing yeah. the partners to do it, you know, hey, we're doing this vertical thing, <laughs> yeah, to, you know, tout this
1: package. It's got a install. couple of custom objects and a custom tab. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's an app, a vertical <laughs> and now, app.
0: some of it's, I don't know, maybe it's gotten better. It's been a while since I've been in that world, so I don't really deal with those verticals much anymore. But
1: I mean, you think of like the, you know, the, the financial services verticals, and the, and I think the health one, I mean, they're they're way more substantial than, than... Oh, the
0: field service one was horrible.
1: Was it? Yeah.
0: I'm hoping it's gotten better, because it lived half in Salesforce as native and half as a package. And there was just all these inconsistencies with what you could do and what you could do and what was considered metadata and what you could modify and what you couldn't. And so there was just some objects that you couldn't interact with appropriately and the data model was huge in of itself because it was so... um, Is denormalized the right word? Or normalized the right word? Either way, in order to have the flexibility for managing field and schedules and different people popping on and different resources attached to that, the data model was kind
1: of really finite. So you had like granular, fine granular. Okay, granular, so it probably granular. was highly normalized, right? Which is, I mean, normalized data is is great unless um, you're trying to do like analytics or whatever. In which case, it just is too expensive. But one of the, one challenge, and I talk, try to talk to you know solution architects, technical architects about this, is that you got to be careful on you know don't necess- you don't also always want that you know what's the th- like the third normal form or whatever. You don't always want to like normalize as all you know till the cows come home because you got to look at. The limitations with Salesforce as the reporting, maybe. May yeah, be. I mean, reporting. Um, the fact that you can only have, what is it, five levels or how many levels of master three. detail can you have? Oh, master detail. Uh, I don't know, five. Well, you can
0: only traverse the master detail five times if you're doing dot
1: notation, right? But what I'm saying is, um, w- when you're actually in setup creating master detail relationships, you'll. You, ha- I think it's three actually. I think it's three. You had a limit where. You'll try to create a master detail. So you'll to create a, a lookup that's a that's a master detail and it'll say, Oh, you can't do this anymore hmm. because you it would have been, you know, the fourth in line or whatever. Which is fine. I don't think we need that many master details. But. Well, how, how could you possibly even make such a statement? Oh, you don't need that. Don't tell me what I need. You don't know what my data model is. Um because I've seen people
0: write stuff that had no experience and it's it's well, one of those things where a- I don't know. I don't know. I guess I could go full libertarian on, on my on my platform and say, eh, screw it." If they if they hang themselves, they hang themselves. But the other part of me is like, "Uh, some people do some dumb stuff, and we probably should protect them from a little bit from that." I mean, they're paying for it, you know. Like, what are you protecting? So I'm a moderate. I'm a moderate advocate in the yeah. Salesforce ecosystem. <laughs> Anyway, well, because my. a master detail has a meaning. It has it has functionality behind it. It's not just this benign structure that says, here's the main key for this child object. It actually enforces uh, data integrity yeah. and, and all, the, all the rules and logic mm-hmm. and sharing around that. So it's, it's a it yeah, becomes a very not expensive have or, operation. You're not going to have in, orphan children. I mean, it's just... Well,
1: it's, no, but I mean, it also... Predicts, I mean, it's like 50-year-old database technology, though. I mean, it, it's, well, it's not it affects, uncommon.
0: It affects the performance in which it can analyze or at least detect your access to that record because all the all the rules for how y- whether or not you have access to that record is maintained up higher in the hierarchy. Yeah.
1: But I mean, anyone who's got, you know, significant architecture experience on Salesforce has, has you know, come across situations where they've got t- t- totally valid use cases for six or seven levels of master detail, but you, d- you can't do it. And you, and you have to, you know, you have to make decisions on where do you break this up? How do you deal with it? At least Salesforce now on Lookup Relationships, they you can prevent orphaning or you can choose to allow it. You know that that's yeah. you can so you can kind of simulate master detail. You don't get the security, right? That, uh, you know benefits of it, but you can at least. I mean, the big one is the I think the orphaning,
0: which in some ways is I have a I how do I say this? I'm very conservative about usage of master detail just because I've run across so many cases where a client all of a sudden decides that this child object has to be secured a certain way for certain groups and backing that out is just not possible sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I try to be very careful about when I use that for that reason as well because it, it's not easy to flip it back to not be a master child once you have data in it. Anyway, um, how do we get onto that? that? Uh, I was weird talking about managed packages mm. yeah, well the entity thing kind of solves some of that so these cases where we have this very granular normalized data build to bring it all back together with the uh, the entities right
1: entity interface what is it called entity objects or something whatever yeah. they're called I, I don't think so no I don't think so based on what I know about those mm-hmm. I hope so but yeah you're probably right, all right. Um, hey have you ever worked with push topics no unfortunately um i did several years ago and i really haven't done much with them since um i'm always scared of the limits around some of these things like mm-hmm. um you know i still do gosh yes, with all these integrations i do i just still do a lot of polling and like the replication api because it just is it's solid it's well understood works really well not the most efficient in the world but it, you know you can do the math on how many api calls you're going to make in 24 hours and mm-hmm. as long as you're well under whatever you know it's it's not a bad solution um it's not completely real time but you can get close enough depending on you know the churn and contention of the data you're working with but right. a lot of times it's the best solution but um yep and i've really you know what got me thinking about them more was you know the fact that when they came out with change data capture which also seems great so change data is you know you just tell it like what objects and i guess in fields you're interested in and when they change you get a notification of hey uh, this you know, the account with this ID just changed and the, someone changed the name field from this to this. Well, that's, that's, pretty, cool, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. You get the old data and the new data. And, you know, so I thought, I immediately was like really excited about that because all these integrations I have to do. and um, But the problem most often with it is just that it, you know, I think you only get like five objects out of the box for free. Five objects free, something like that. Mm. And um, it's actually very difficult to get pricing, first of all. But the pricing that I have gotten, it's it's just usually it's prohibitive. It's um, I can't remember now. Some so why some is that? Is some that quite a, large number per year. You know, is that
0: because it's built on some other technology that they have to pay so it's, for, it's, you or know, just it's, they're trying to gatekeep
1: with? I don't know. Price? I don't. I think they're they might be trying to you know gatekeep. They don't really don't want people to be using it that much <laughs> mm-hmm. um, until they probably it could be a lot of times Salesforce. It's not that they are uncomfortable with the quality of their technology, although although there's just an a totally pragmatic aspect to it. Like, hey, it's a relatively new thing. We don't want, you know, 100,000 companies just using it out of the gate. We'd like to slowly ease people into it so that we can see what the problems are in, in real production situations and and manage those and fix those before, you know, so we have, you know, limited exposure. That totally makes sense. Um, I think the bigger, as- the bigger, I guess, driver behind kind of a slow rollout like that is having real data on, what usage patterns are going to look like? Mm. Um, just planning for a load right on the system, so that could be a part of it. Uh, you know, I mean, what if you just release it with really no limits, and then you know, I don't know, some one of these integration platforms, whatever, just makes it easy to like send a billion messages every hour or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> you're kind of screwed. But anyway, so yeah. does a select all. I still haven't done CDC in in real production yet. Um, Mainly because, yeah, this, you know, it's just something. It's a it's a conversation I don't want to always have to have. Like, oh, you know, can we can we can you spend another twenty grand a year or what? I can forget what the number is. Maybe it's five grand. Maybe it's twenty grand. I don't know. Um, I think it's more than five though. Anyway, uh, to, to, to do CDC, but um, push topics. And by the way, these are all like push topics, change data capture. What's the what's the platform events? What else? There's a, there's all these things that streaming. They're, they yeah, all, they're, they're the, all they
0: all sit on that same so backbone, you, right? Yeah,
1: it, it seems like it, and yeah. they certainly are. They're all the way that you deal with it from a from a like messaging perspective, receiving these events is is through the, essentially the same API as the streaming API. It's all the what a Comet Comet deep Well, I guess I should say that's one way to access it. You can also deal with these a lot of these things via triggers, which I haven't done. But um, I'm working on a project right now where. I was like, hey, let me look at Push Topics again. Because Push Topics have been around forever. So I trust them. The other problem with CDC is I've, I've, already, I've heard too many stories about people losing data, losing events. Mm. And so I just don't trust it yet. Push Topics have been around for much longer, though. I mean, I, I think I used Push Topics literally like five years ago, maybe more. So I know they've been around for a long time. They use that same streaming API. So it's you know, the, kind of the long polling mm-hmm. concept. Works well over the web. And you get I think it's fifty by default, fifty push topics. And I don't know. I think I think if you need more, it's one of those things like it's not it's not a product you pay for. It's just kinda of have to you just I think if you ask, maybe you can get more. If you have a you know, they'll probably say, well, What's your use case? Right. Um, you probably get more. But for a lot of things I do, fifty is probably enough. And and what and the way it works is you define so push topic is basically just it I think it only works on, you know, standard and custom objects. And only certain standard objects, but like it's most the ones that you'd want, So, you know, account, contact, opportunity. Right. Um, I think task is on there. Event is not, I think, which is interesting. So there's, there's, there's standard objects that it doesn't cover for whatever reason. I don't know why. But it's basically just to get a notification that, you know, a create, an update, or a delete, or something else. Is there another one? I can't remember. But, yeah, you can basically get notification where if something was created that matches you, your filter, something was updated. Or something was deleted. The deleted is great because mm-hmm. that's that's one use case that sometimes is hard. You know, or you have to have you know you have to do a, the what's it, the query like a query all? What is it? Um, query more? No, no, no. There's a the, the the APIs I think is query all, but within a SQL I think you, there's a there's also a, a clause you can put in a SQL statement that gets you deleted records also. All and, rows. And then all rows. Is that what it is? Yep. And then so then you have to check the is deleted.
0: Column mm-hmm. is it a column right. or a field, whatever yeah.
1: in Salesforce terms, to know whether it's something that was it's been deleted or not. Well, it could be archived or deleted. Oh, there's an is archived. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, in this case, I mean, so you you um, you define like let's say I want to just I want to I'm gonna I need to keep accounts in sync with my my Postgres database. So you could define a push topic and you give it a query. So well, first of all, you pick which object. So in this case, account. You give it a query, and so maybe it's like. You know, select, you know, ID, name, whatever fields you want. Because those are what's, whatever fields you put in that SOQL query are, it's only those fields that are going to be in the event that gets pushed to you. So if you, you know, if you wanted any additional fields or like a related objects or whatever, you'd have to turn around. And then once you got the event about that account change, then you'd have to turn around and query into Salesforce. So it's, it's best to, if you can, to specify all the fields you're going to need in that query. Right. Yeah, but okay, within reason. I mean, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's just going to increase the data size unnecessarily if there's stuff you don't need. But and then you can put a where clause on it too. So if you're only interested in a subset, like maybe it's maybe you only care about accounts in Texas, so you can say where you know mailing state or what is it billing state, whatever it is equals Texas, and you're only going to get notifications of changes um, or events around accounts that match that that where clause. Um, so, send, and since you get fifty, I think it's fifty push topics per org. You know, you could monitor up to fifty different objects, which for me is usually more than enough. I mean, sometimes I'll get up into the, you know, we're doing twenty, thirty.
0: Mm-hmm. But there's no queue involved, right? It just you catch it or you don't.
1: No, there is a queue, so you can. Um, it, it, it. You know, along with the streaming API, I think when did they change that? I feel like it was in the late twenties version. Mm-hmm. Um, they added the um, like you know, there's that replay ID. Okay, and so you can either pass it negative one, which is any events after I've started listening, and there's negative two, which is any events since I started, but also any other events that have happened in the past 24 hours. So it's like almost like a catch-up thing. Okay. Because I think it keeps yeah yeah um. So that's pretty useful. There's still some things that, I mean, I, I, what, what'll be interesting to see for me so, is that going down this route, is, is, are the topics going to be enough? Or will I also have to have uh, like integration routes that support just straight out like, you know, kind of replication type queries? So just, you know, you query where your you know, last modified date or system mod stamp is greater than a certain time, the, you know, the old school polling way. Yeah, um, I think you might want some either, some kind of like hourly or at
0: least, you know, with some time like, like half a catch up. day or, you know, at least yeah. 20 hours or 12 hours or whatever.
1: Well, to, my concern is like, what if, you know, like for some reason the integration's down for a few days? I can't catch up that much with a, with a push topic.
0: No, but if you have that secondary operation right. that it could. So now it's like I've got to, now I've got to do it both ways. Well, from what I understand of... And I'm not sure if they've changed it since then, but Heroku's replication to to Postgres with that um, Salesforce Connect to Pro, to Heroku—that's what it did. It used the streaming API to replicate. But it also had—I don't know if it was nightly or—it it had a batch job that would go through and just say, "Okay, last modified, grab me everything, so I can you know catch up."
1: Yeah. Or at least look for anything that's potentially missed yeah. in the replication. It's, you know, that's the fun part about integration. Like, there's nothing perfect. I mean, there's right. just there's there's so many different ways things can go wrong, and you you know you might have a couple of different methods to try to catch most things. But but those catch up routines are are kind of
0: nice because even when I write an integration, um, I'm always conscious of the first load. I have to I have to backfill everything. That's true. And so I end up having some kind of routine in there that goes out and grabs what I want and pushes it over using the same. Um, transformation layers, just to make sure everything gets gets in correctly. So I mean, it it ends up it ends up in your code anyways. Yeah,
1: and and that works for me on some integrations. Other integrations, which are re- like more complex, it's not just a straight sync. It's like you know, there's when something, you know, when some records created or some opportunity hits a certain stage, like there's this whole flow, like a whole you know, complex integration route of stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. I can't use that to do like the initial sync of data of the two t- yeah, of the true. two systems. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll, just a lot write better code. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not that the code's bad. It's just that you know you have complex integration requirements, and yeah, and no. they're not. It's just not suitable for that simple initial sync process. But yeah, so far, um, I'm just. I'm still kind of in. I'm still building this integration, but the, you know, I mean, it seems to work great. I mean, I mean, the benef- benefits are. You know, you don't have to worry about API limits. Um, the push topic limits are the streaming limits in general, or at least for my use cases are. Plenty high. It's like, you know, f- there's f- so much more headroom than will ever be needed. Uh, and the other big benefit is it's it's pretty much real time, unless something's going wrong with Salesforce, which does happen occasionally. But um, in general, it's real time. Whereas, you know, the polling thing, like, you know, maybe you're pulling every five minutes or every every minute or every hour or whatever. So there's always that delay. And, uh, you know, if you've got a bi-directional integration, that's, that's when you've got to really try to limit that window of contention. Yeah. Because if someone updates something on one system, now the clock's ticking. What if someone updates that same record in the other system before right. it has a chance to push over the change? You know, so that's when you get into like, you can try to do some kind of optimistic locking scenario or or, or, or conflict detection. And again, integration, so fun. <laughs> or you just pick a system of record and it overwrites. <sighs> that's, and sometimes people can't, you know, it's like, well, they're both systems of record. Well, okay. <laughs>
0: We can't yeah, that. Sorry.
1: Right. Yeah, they're they're in separate databases on other sides of the of the country, and and you know things don't happen in a transaction. These are these are not these are outside of transaction boundaries, so we can't detect things like that. I mean, you, again, you can try to detect, but then it's like, well, what's your course of action? You detected that the same record was changed in both systems with you know in within that that you know delay window. What do you do then? Yeah. And you just email someone, or do you do you try to save both records to the log file or something? Like, what do you do? I mean, do you, do you, may, and maybe you do determine that one system is more has a higher priority than, that, but you still ha, you still have a chance of losing data. I mean, you're going to lose something that someone changed on one of those systems. Yeah, but
0: yeah, well, someone has to make the decision. Yep, and it's probably going to be the
1: wrong one, but
0: it's only wrong in, a, in, a, in, a, in given a scenario. So it's not like it's
1: wrong, wrong, right. That makes sense, yeah you just try to be like the least wrong thing,
0: yeah <laughs> anyway the least wrong thing that's <laughs> that's my philosophy that's your life. philosophy yeah yeah you know I thought we should we should pay attention to the uh, the the uh, sFdX the salesforce uh, the CLI uh, release notes. I
1: don't follow that. I, I have done. I should be. I, I should. should. You, because you yeah. you probably use that a lot more than I do. I, I have not been doing much Salesforce development. So Well, just.
0: you know what's sad about my development is I don't get to do UI stuff right now because the back end is so bad yeah. that I spend 100% of my time fixing the back end and trying to make it transparent to the existing ugly UI. Mm-hmm. Um, and even by back end, I mean the back end JavaScript controllers as well. I've been modifying those, but I'm trying to keep the UI as 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 it is even though i really want to rewrite the whole thing and make it look different but there's there's a lot that has to be coordinated for me to do that there's all the existing training of users and all that kind of stuff so me just deciding i want to change it which is kind of one of those things about application development that um you have to be conscious of is that you can't just go around changing a bunch of interfaces because you think it's going to look better this way
1: because you you're impacting people who've already been trained on it how right. to do it one way. Yeah. I mean you may think it's ugly, but they may think it's fine and that's how they know how to use it. Right. And you could you could create a new interface that you think is so much better and you're just gonna piss them off. They don't care. Not better to them. They don't think it's prettier or better. Like you you move their cheese. Exactly. You better have a damn good reason. And sometimes it does turn out better though. Like the new launcher.
0: I love the new launcher. It's so much nicer.
1: Is now is that one in
0: production it, yet? Or is it 20, still yeah. it is? Okay. Yeah, because
1: yeah. I've yeah, that is I mean, the Is old... there a
0: hotkey for the launcher? Because I haven't figured it out yet. So I'm That's always a having question. to click on that icon. But I do like it better because it's, it's less be intrusive. For that. It's faster because it doesn't have to load that big modal window with big icons, and it's it's just so much nicer.
1: Yeah. I mean that that giant what they call that thing. It's just the app launcher. That's
0: just it's still there. You can click on the view more, yeah. view all, but at least it's secondary.
1: It just seemed so overbearing, didn't it? Yeah.
0: But, I mean, that's a perfect example of how whenever they first designed Salesforce, you know, they used to have, instead of the tabs, they moved to that kind of sidebar. And that caused so many issues, they got rid of the sidebar and everything's back to being tabs at the top. Now you have the launcher and, you know, that that obviously got changed to be a little bit more minimal. It's almost like um, like getting close to like a spotlight type of thing. Uh, you know, we just... And now that they're full force on single-page application, and it looks like single-page applications are, are now considered a... Bad ideas and legacy. So we'll see
1: what, what the world transitions to after that. I'll see. I'm, I'm on the keyboard shortcuts for a lightning experience. Um, you can okay, escape to close a window. You need edit a record. Save. Command S. Show shortcut menu. That's not it. I don't, you know what? I, I don't think there's a shortcut hmm. to. Which is weird, because how do you? how is Salesforce accessible if you... Well, you could tab to it. Oh, God. (laughs) I wonder, have you tried to tab to it? I think I have. Okay. Yeah, there's a there is an idea for this. It has 150 points. That's not very many, is it? No, we can bump that up. Keyboard shortcut for app launcher and lightning experience. Yeah, we need to bump that up. Oh, I will add that to the show notes and we can all bump it up. There you go.
0: But all that's to say is that I is to justify my saying, uh, I haven't done hardly anything except so for like one lightning web component that didn't work out very well. Uh, as simple as it was, for some reason I couldn't get that SVG to the to display, but anyways, um, in this latest version of the CLI, the 48.2.0, which came out today, in fact, I think it came out at like at one o'clock. So I saw someone post it on our Slack. But I had actually updated earlier today because I was trying to solve an issue, and I'll, I'll tell you about that issue in a bit. But, um, So this one, apparently, I, I haven't signed on on a testing framework for JavaScript yet. Um, I think I was leaning towards Jasmine, uh, but there's a few others. like I Was it Mocha mm-hmm. and uh, Jest were the other ones I was looking at. Well, it seems like I think Salesforce has pretty much signed on with Jest because they gave us some commands in this latest version. So now you can call... Uh, force lightning lwc test of course there's colons in between every of these pause create and that'll create some boilerplate a boilerplate directory for tests Uh, and then you can do all that same command colon setup and that'll create all the the jest unit test tooling for web components like the scaffolding or right uh, and then you can do run and it'll run all those tests for you so nice but jest isn't, isn't bad it was on my list of ones to potentially go forward with so I don't, know, I don't know, I don't think I have an opinion either way, but yeah, makes it easier.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the new version? Yeah, 48.2 okay. So yeah. if you update today, you'll have those new commands. Does it seem to you that the term Salesforce DX has pretty much been pigeonholed to mean the CLI? I guess someone said, hey, you use an SFDX? What, what do you mean? Hey. I, use, I feel like everyone uses that to mean the CLI. When, well, because that, that's
0: what you type. You don't type sfdx-cli. You type in
1: sfdx. One that gets to was sfdx a good name for the CLI? Tool? I hate typing sfdx. Yeah.
0: I hate it with a passion. Well, at least it's all on three
1: fingers. And I hate typing force. All left fingers.
0: Force is so redundant. Well, I, mean, also, I get it.
1: That's but an it's easy so redundant, and, and it is. It is. So that I actually think there's. I mean. I mean, overall, I do like that. this that's the tool I and mean, obviously, it brings a lot of functionality that that is needed and useful. But the the UI of of the um, of the CLI, is uh-huh. that, if that makes any sense, is not great. It's too wordy. I don't like. I have to do in colons. All the colons are kind of awkward to type. Yeah, I have to move my huh? hand off. Yeah, to why, is, why is force required? It's it's always got to be there. And I and I know that they built this on that that command line framework mm-hmm. and so it probably requires like the first thing you pass it to be like some kind of context you got to pass force but i feel like if i'm typing sfdx then you know whatever that kicks off could just fill in the force for me so well, I, I think it's more that. kind of a namespacing
0: type situation i know but it's but it's, it's always like would be force is commands. it never not force but i what think what they were thinking that they might have another set of commands that wouldn't be Maybe force so. yeah but it just didn't work out that way yeah. everything
1: ended up being under the force umbrella but yeah, I mean, just, it's it's an interesting... I don't know that I've... Other than Heroku, I don't know any of... I mean, I use a lot of terminal utilities and stuff. I mean, I'm a, kind of a terminal kind of guy, right? i I'm, I'm Ever since... A I mean, I started 30. out, you know, ever since I started out on, on DOS, you know, but uh, Unix and, and OS X or Mac OS, whatever it's called now. I'm, I'm very... Ter- there's just so many things that uh, are so much better in a terminal versus some, like, a UI. But, uh, you know, out of all of these tools, command line tools... Um, the Salesforce is the only one that I know that does these really wordy, I mean, they're like sentences. Whereas other tools would just have, you know, get or think of anything or any of the, you know, yeah. traditional Unix things or whatever. Not, none of them are like that. None of them are that damn wordy. It's like you have to type a, a quite long sentence instead of things being separated by spaces they are separated by colons. It's like, and that's awkward. I mean, I know I'm, I'm picking nits here. I, I acknowledge that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is wordy to me uh, for someone who,
0: doesn't do a lot of command line, even for me. It, it seems like it's the wordiest I've ever
1: seen. And for some reason, I don't know what it is about the word force. It's very easy to mistype. I've gotten used to typing force. Force is not hard. It's just I kind of typing fork half the time. Like the e doesn't come through. I don't know why.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I would rather have the. I mean, yeah. Especially some of the git like commands, like you know, pulling source or pushing source or. You know getting the status it just it just yeah, seems like, it was
1: get you know repo colon code colon poll it's like yeah. why would you why yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and that's that's the problem because i'm constantly it's constantly thrown in my face how wordy it is that's what it is yeah because you know i'll be in the terminal and i'll be like okay let me push my source up to to my repo and and then i'm like well let me check my because i'm always checking because sometimes for some reason I'll find out that some save command because I had an error with one file, one file dropped off the, the change so it didn't get pushed up. So I'm always like, okay, well let's force status. Checking to make sure everything got pushed up before I do my well, I don't really have to, but that's just the routine I do. But then so I'm always doing force source status and then git push, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm I'm constantly reminded of the
1: the differences. I think this this uh command line framework that they used, I think it really encourages you to think um it really encourages you to over design your your commands and like the namespaces they live in. And it encourages you to have this nested hierarchy of name of 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 namespaces. Like a command might live under like to just to run one command, you might have to do like some word colon another word, colon another word, colon, then your command. It's like yeah. couldn't you have just put made the command the top level thing? Like
0: well, it's almost like it's it's built on these modules and each module ends up being an, an entry in the colon. Yeah. And when you kit it all together, Ooh, that becomes the an command. entry
1: in the colon. That's a good title.
0: An entry in the colon. I mean, cause like, so some of the wordy commands are, are like upsert. I mean, there's really no other combination. I mean, you could <laughs> right. do force upsert yeah. and be done, but no, it's force data bulk upsert. Yeah. And also, um, or the worst <laughs> um, permission set assignment, Force user perm
1: set assign <laughs> dash N dash your permission set name. Yeah, yeah. Also, what about this? What about the fact that Git has taught everyone and some some other tools too, but especially Git, because it gets so universal. Um that force is a thing that you use very rarely oh, yeah. and judiciously. Yeah. Whereas with SFDX, it teaches you that everything is force, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't make that connection, but yeah. You know, if someone, if someone who wasn't necessarily steeped in the Salesforce world, but they, they were, you know, like someone who's a, a, you know, kind of a power user, knows terminal stuff. They saw you doing some force thing all the time. They'd be like, why are you forcing all that, man? That's dangerous. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> is that your phone? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do you need to go? Do we need to wrap it up, John? A little bit. I know oh, what yeah. it's about. No. I don't want to have that, that conversation right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only have a final thing. my future. I guess, um, which is... Because uh, I, I know you've done some work with Einstein Analytics, but I gotta have a question for you, John. This is an Ask John. Okay. And that I guess is, you know, if someone asked you this, a client or whatever, what, well, I'm curious what your answer would be. Is Einstein Analytics a data warehouse? No. No. Okay. Can you explain why it's not?
0: Because it's not meant to be. Really? It's meant to analyze data and pull data from different sources for the purpose of analysis, but it's not meant
1: to be But a it doesn't storage. pull, it really pulls data from you got to get you got to get your data into Einstein Analytics you do but that doesn't mean it's a data warehouse well what is it going into though it's probably going well and who and, knows? and what's the thing called that when you want to pull like let's forget Salesforce and Einstein but you get you got a typical medium large sized company you got all kinds of different systems databases and what's what's the what's it called when you when you're regularly you know extracting data from all those different systems and you're loading them into like your you know your SQL server or whatever it is your central like so that you can do reports and analysis against all those different systems but it's all uh, you brought brought it all into one database so you can do that what is that one database usually called it's your master data no no it's not it's
0: your master data warehouse
1: thank you it's a data warehouse
0: but that doesn't mean that the analytics tool, just because it happens but I'm to host you're, that but, data.
1: But, but we're doing the same thing now, except instead of bringing it into that SQL server, we're bringing all of this data via all these connectors or maybe that the, the data, whatever it's called, um, import API that I said, you're bringing all that data into Einstein Analytics, into their, but it typically into their have Hadoop, their HBase of, database or their Parquet files, whatever they're storing these things in.
0: Right? Yeah, but it typically doesn't have, well, uh, uh, fair enough. Okay. But I think, I think, I, I think it would be ill-informed to use it and treat it like your data warehouse, um, simply for the fact that I don't think it has the toolings to
1: properly translate. You're right. So information. This, so this is what this is what you just hit on. What actually makes your answer probably more correct, which is. There's things you you also need to be able to do in a data warehouse that you can't do in Einstein you can't right. do in Einstein Analytics. I mean, it's kind of a data warehouse. It, it serves a lot of the functions of a data warehouse. Einstein Analytics does. It's like a data closet. But <laughs> but once it stuffs in Einstein Analytics, you know, it's not like you can you can't really do transforms. Um, right. Right. And and you know we we've heard the term ETL forever. Right. Extract, transform, load. That's and that's the idea. I mean that's that's kind of an, that's kind of a data warehousing term. You extract data from all your operational systems. You transform them into some kind of some kind of format that and and sometimes you do a little bit of transform sometimes you have to do a lot of transforming, but you transform it into some kind of structure that makes it better for reporting and then you load those in your data what you'd load that result into your data warehouse right well i seems like to me a, a more common pattern nowadays is elt so you extract the raw data from all your operational systems or maybe that's you know again nowadays it's you know you got click streams you got iot's throwing off all kinds of data whatever but you got all this raw data then the next step is just to load into your data warehouse, and then because these data warehouses are so damn powerful nowadays, especially things like you know like uh, Amazon Redshift and BigQuery and mm-hmm. whatever, then you do your you, you do your transforms in the data warehouse again because they're ridiculously powerful, and yeah. most of them support SQL now SQL statements nowadays, and so the best place to transform is in the data warehouse. So it's more E L T, but that's the kind of thing that you can't do with Einstein Analytics. So, right. But it's it's a tough question. You know, I got asked this. i had to ask, ask this in, in a very official. I had to answer this question in a very official format, and it was kind of hard to answer. I'm like, well, it's kind of a data warehouse in these ways, but it's not a no. complete data warehouse because of these reasons. Yeah. So there's just not. I mean, I guess I guess the official answer is no, it's not a data warehouse. But if you squint hard enough, it kind of looks like one. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's not
0: bad. <laughs> I'll use that line next time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, all right, John, we can wrap wrap up. Uh, I know we, you know, have both been crazy busy, and we're just trying to squeeze in a recording here to keep the uh, natives from getting too restless. Of course, they're always looking for our wisdom, right? Yep. Not. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think that's the that's the uh, reason people listen to this show. <laughs> Not either. <laughs>
0: Do but if anyone ever wanted to know
1: whether it <laughs> was, a, was a data warehouse or not, now they know. See? Those are the kind of nuggets that you, as far as I can tell, only get on the Good Day Sir podcast. And, potentially, in in our Slack yeah. community. The Slack community makes me feel inferior. Have we reached a thousand yet, John? I don't know. Let's take a look. Why are you so hung up on numbers? I'm not. Oh, we're four away. It's been a... Yeah, we didn't... We, didn't, we only had a few uh, new members in the past uh, few days, but... Yeah, I made away. the
0: analogy that you were like a YouTuber asking for subs, but now I want to make a different analogy that you're like Benny off fastest to a, to a thousand. I know, it's It's annoying, You need to start isn't the it? mantra, mantra fastest <laughs> to
1: a thousand. Uh, well, we definitely are not going to claim that mantle. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, uh, for you people listening who are not in our Slack, you should check it out. GoodDayserPodcast.com Click on Community. Do what it tells you to do. We accept Bitcoin. Cash, payment, no, I'm just kidding. There's no payment. Oh, and if you've previously previously signed up
0: and you, for some reason, did not get an activation, I'm noticing a lot more come in where um, there's requests to sign up, but they're already in the community. And for some reason, Slack doesn't let me either do a new invite or reset a password. So I'm going to start trying to send emails back out saying, it looks like you're already in here. Here's how you reset your mm. password. Because um, I just don't have the tooling to do it, but I've noticed it come in quite often lately. Yeah. So okay.
1: Uh, we also have an e- in, uh, email address, which is info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. You can send us questions, stuff to talk about on the show. You can request stickers if you just provide your... Are you on top of that? Um, I still, I have not sent that second batch out yet, but okay. I, uh, uh, I will do that soon. Um, yeah, we can send stickers, so just let me know how many stickers you want and your address. We can even send internationally. Although for the nationals, they, they are a little bit more expensive, so if you want, I can send you, you know, a batch, like more than a few so that you can, like if like, I don't know, all people in a certain country can like coordinate their efforts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've done that a couple times already. I don't know if those stickers have arrived yet, but. That's cool. Yeah. What else, John? That's it. Hopefully this uh, weird rainy weather gets the hell out of here. I'm sick of it. It's been cold and rainy here in Texas. Yeah. I can't tell if I'm sick of it or I'm kind
0: of thankful for it because I'm not ready for all the sports to start up. Oh, and yeah. so we've. A few practices have been canceled, and I've kind of been okay with it. I'm like, okay, no soccer yeah. Um But tonight is lacrosse, and they practice on turf, so even if it's raining, we'll probably still mm. be out there. So,
1: yeah, we usually have you know fairly kind of dry winters in Texas, but man, it's it's been it has been a wet winter. I'm not going to complain. I prefer the rain over the drought. I'd prefer snow. Come on, man, I need snow. I mean, if you know, it's funny. And any given winter, we usually have you know the temperature for snow, but we don't have the, the precipitation. Rain. Yeah, right. Or we have all this precipitation, but it's like mid forties and just cold and wet and miserable. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't mind some quality snow. Yeah, exactly. you, can actually, you can actually like right. roll up and make a snowman and still have snow underneath it. Yep, not not, 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 not mud. like a grass, not like a grass snowman. <laughs> yeah, this is muddy a little, little and grassy. furry snowman. It's just <laughs> yeah. got a little it's, it's yellow <laughs> yellow grass sticking out yeah. of it. That's a Texas snowman. <laughs> it <frigid>. is <laughs> totally is. <Yeah. laughs> might have
1: like a little odd and end of dog poop on it oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's why you have to you got to make sure you keep it scooped up before it snows you got the, the pooper scooper oh <laughs> well, yeah. and to that i say good day sir you get nothing you lose good day sir.